Hello and welcome to Meet the CEO, a series of short, sharp podcasts that explore how CEOs really think. My name's Matt Crabtree, I'm the founder of Positive Momentum, and in each episode of this podcast series, we'll be asking CEOs of real businesses to share with us why on earth they wanted to become a CEO in the first place. What do they do when no one's watching? What do they find really tough? And what are the best lessons they've learned from others? So whether you're already a CEO, might want to be one one day, or just have to deal with CEOs from time to time, we promise to get you the no-nonsense lowdown on exactly what it takes to make happen, well, whatever it is you need to make happen. This is Meet the CEO. My guest today is Swag Mukherjee, CEO of Centaur PLC, a FTSE-listed business information group which advises, informs and connects as an international provider of market intelligence and specialist consultancy through content, high-profile events and smart digital technology. The Centaur group includes legendary brands such as The Lawyer, Marketing Week, Oyster Catchers, and mini MBA to name but a very few swag. Welcome to Meet the CEO. Thank you, Matt, and thanks for inviting me. Very much looking forward to it. Oh, you're very welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Now, you've held uh, CFO, CEO, and general management roles at organizations as diverse as Guinness, United Biscuits, Virgin Drinks, Priory Healthcare. Safety Clean Group, and now Centaur. So uh, I'm very certain you've got lots of wisdom to share with us. But let me start by asking you the question we ask all of our guests. Why did you become a CEO? Well, as you mentioned, I've been both a CEO and CFO. And in fact, this is my third CEO role. And all my CEO roles have been for businesses facing a challenge, a challenge either to grow or a challenge to recover. Each has required a strategy refresh, and that's the bit I find most interesting. So really getting under the nails of what the customer needs and understanding that, and then building a business model to satisfy it. It's very exciting because there's no formula, and each situation has its own solutions. Is that right? So you found not there's not a common formula that is it kind of a, a blank sheet open ears approach to doing that strategy refresh each time, kind of get into it and approach it afresh. Yes. I mean, there are some common threads. I mean, the common thread is you've got to understand what the customer wants and you need to understand how your business model actually drives value. Uh, So those are obviously common in any business, but how, how you respond to your customers and what value you generate from from your business I've worked for several businesses and I haven't found a standard approach. Isn't it remarkable how it's the most obvious of questions, isn't it? What is it that the customer wants? What does the customer expect? How do we differentiate ourselves uh, with the customer? And yet we have to keep coming back to it and asking it again and again. It's a kind of remarkably obvious thing to focus on, isn't it? You're very correct. But the surprising thing is each of these businesses which I've turned around or grown has had the same issues. People haven't bothered to go and ask the customer what they want. They have a sometimes arrogant view that they understand what the customers want. And if you if you then go and speak to the customer and understand what they need, it's sometimes very different to what we're doing for them. 
Yeah, yeah. Isn't it the truth? Isn't it the truth? Well, let's get into your kind of daily life as a CEO, because that's what this podcast is all about, Meet the CEO. And let me start with some sort of practicalities, I guess. What part of your day would you call sacrosanct that you preserve at all costs? Do you have like a, a routine in the way that you work that you're really disciplined about? Yeah, it's very boring, actually. It's the first hour of the day. Uh, when, when we are working in the office, I get in very early. And the very first thing I do is a meditation session, probably for about 20 minutes to half an hour using an app. And that's something I've been doing for a couple of years now. And I find it's a really good way of just getting myself set up for the day. And then I plan my day and I actually uh, split my work into stuff that's important and urgent and the stuff that is important and urgent, I try and get done before the day gets going. So, you know, once you get to 8.30, 9 o'clock and other people are coming into the business, you don't get very much personal time to actually do the stuff you need to do. And if you don't get it done first thing in the morning, you end up doing it last thing at night, which is less pleasurable. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's really interesting to hear that your day starts with some meditation because no doubt you arrive in the office every day with a big inbox and that the email has got an enormous amount of gravity associated with it hasn't it but you're clearly focused on taking care of your mental health before you get into all of that absolutely and i'll be honest i didn't look at it as a way of getting rid of uh, uh looking after my mental health it's because i drive into the office i enjoy driving and but you're you're a bit hyper when you finish the drive so it was a way of calming down before i started the day <laughs> whatever works whatever works all right well t- talking of uh, hyper moments um you know we're speaking as we are uh, hopefully coming out of this dreadful pandemic we faced in the last uh, 14 or 15 months but either beyond that or indeed including this what's the most challenging situation that you've encountered as a CEO and what what have you learned from either it or the several ones that I suspect you might have uh, faced? Well as I said earlier each situation is different and each has its own challenges. Uh, There is one that stands out it's the most difficult one I've uh, worked on was where the owners had made a really bad investment decision to buy a company stuck way too much debt into it and then expected a magic bullet of performance. And to compound that, they put in a dreadful chairman who was a poor investment banker who didn't have a clue. And I was then asked to go in and sort it out because the existing management team, the CEO, the COO and the CFO had a huge row with the owners and the chairman walked out and uh, I happened to be at a loose end. I was asked to go in and uh, address the situation. And what I learned from that, Matt, was you just need to clearly understand how the business works and how you generate value from it. And everything builds from that. Goodness, you are a, a glutton for punishment. Did you know how bad it was when you went into it? I mean, was it was it a case of, oh, this looks this looks meaty, I'm going to go and have a go at this? Or, or did it turn out to be a little bit worse than you'd imagined? It was a lot worse than I imagined. I mean, this is a business that was worth... Uh, about nine hundred million pounds, and the uh, uh, the owners had stuck eight hundred and fifty million pounds of the debt into it, and the details of the how the debt interest accrued was by the time I got in, that debt was worth about one point four billion. 
Oof. So it was, it was, yeah, it had the sword of Damocles hanging over it. Um, but uh, we did sort it out in the end and uh, uh, we did get, uh, we did get the business sold and we generated good value from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't realize how bad it was before I went, but it's, uh, I'm not going to name the company, but it's a very, very well-known brand that's a market leader in the area that it, it plays in and uh, does a brilliant job. I mean, what it actually provides in terms of its services is outstanding. It, the issue was it uh, was with the way it was financially structured. Well, something to be uh, to be proud of, clearly, and uh, and people's jobs protected and services delivered. So, uh, yeah, fantastic to hear. Uh, in all of these um, events and interactions that you've had, you've you've no doubt come across lots and lots of people, uh, mentors and sponsors. Who's most influenced the way you lead, right? Uh, there's no one person here, really. I've had the privilege of working with some amazing people, ranging from a guy called Linton Barker back in my early days at PwC to Richard Branson at Virgin and Natalie Steve Brain at Safety Clean. Each of them taught me things along the way which have formed the way I think and act. But if you're going to force me to choose one in particular, it was a chap called Alan Coates. And that's when I went from United Biscuits to uh, Virgin. And it was my first CEO role. And he said to me, Swag, what you must do is you must try and contact your top 10 customers and try and speak to someone as senior as possible at those customers and say, I'm not here to sell you anything. I'm here to understand what you think about our business, what we do well, what we could do better. And through that, I ended up meeting some very influential people, you know, the CEO of Asda, the buying director of uh, Tesco's, the buying director of uh, Sainsbury's. And formed some good relationships there, but I learned a lot about our business and what we did well and what we didn't do well. And that really then helped us sort the business out. It's a really interesting repeating pattern, isn't it? In you know, you, you say there's no formula, but this client interaction piece, this go and talk to clients and then talk to them again and then go back and have another conversation, it, it is a it's a real hallmark by the sounds of things of the way you and, and many successful CEOs approach it. But it is surprising how how some execs don't talk to customers enough, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's, it was quite interesting when I joined Centaur, actually, because I've always had this customer focus. And I would like to see it, say at Centaur, there are three or four people who are more customer focused than me, but that's all. And I was the CFO. And people used to look at me very strangely saying, well, why are you talking about the customers so much? I call it talking about the C word. And I said, they, they say, why are you talking about the customers so much when, uh, you know, you're the CFO? And, uh, you know, uh, now they understand. <laughs> it really shouldn't be surprising, shouldn't it? And it shouldn't be odd. And yet, uh, it's just so often that it is you kind of go well you know that must be the sales director's job and mm-hmm. it turns out actually it's everybody's job listen let's use that as a neat little segue into talking about executive teams you've you've led uh several you've been a member of many um what for you is the secret to a really effective executive team that that team working into the board what's the what's the formula to make that really work I think there's two words there which are called goal congruence. So I think the CEO's responsibility is to articulate a compelling and clear strategy which they understand really well. 
And they each need to know what they are great at. So each member of the exec team needs to know what their strengths are. But they also need to know what their fellow exec members are great at as well. And the job of the CEO is to make sure that you play each of them to their strengths. So if I give a, a football analogy in the Man United treble winning, winning team, David Beckham would know that if he crossed the ball, Andy Cole would be there to put the ball in the net. And Andy Cole would know that if he made that run nine times out of 10, Beckham's cross would find him. And that for me is what a good high performance of executive team should be doing. They should almost know by intuition how the other person would think about a particular matter. Quite literally goal congruence there, um, uh, definitely. And the in- the interesting thing, though, of course, is that often execs are competing for resources, aren't they? There's often no. friction between execs rather more than appreciation for one another's strengths and points of view. How, how have you managed that over the years? Um, I think you get them into a room. And one of the things I cannot stand is politics. And I guess over my career, I've gravitated to smaller organisations because they tend to be less political. You know, in, the, in the, some of the larger organisations I've worked in, the politics sometimes inhibited the organisation. And if two members of my executive team at the moment have an issue on something, uh, I get them both in the same room or on the same Zoom call in the current situation and we thrash it out. And I think that's the best way of doing it. Uh, what I don't like is if I get person A, you know, whispering in my ear about one thing and about person B and then person B doing the same about person A. That's just that's just a recipe for disaster, really. It's that honesty and transparency, isn't it? And if you've yeah. if you've got to facilitate it, then then so be it. Absolutely. And don't be difficult about uh, to make a difficult decision. Don't be uh, scared of making a difficult decision. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Now, uh, talking of um, decisions, you'll have many uh, decisions on your horizon. What's the biggest changes ahead for you and for Centaur Swag? What are you What are you thinking about for the future? Okay. Well, the obvious answer is COVID. Uh, and how the whole world moves forward on a bigger picture. But the more refined answer is what the impact COVID has had on our business. It's actually been good for Centaur. It's accelerated our strategy to move online and make our products virtual, which we had been planning, but it's probably accelerated by two years. And the challenge now that we face is to make sure we don't slip backwards as the world opens up. We just make sure we we ratchet to the level that we've reached at the moment and keep innovating and keep moving forwards. So uh, a real life example of that will be, we're getting people saying, oh, well, the training that we're doing online, some of our clients would like us to do that face-to-face and we need to go to the States or to Australia and do that. And I'm saying, well, do you really need to do that? You know, look at look at the carbon footprint, even if you're allowed to travel, look at the effectiveness of the trainer's time. Wouldn't it be better for the client and for, for Centaur to keep that virtual? So those are the sorts of real life challenges that uh, we're facing moving forwards. Yeah, it's a really interesting time. I mean, uh, for anybody who's uh, listening to this in the future, we're recording this in in June 2021. And uh, if you are listening in in June 2022, we all really want to know to what extent has some of these, frankly, more progressive ways of working, have they been retained? And I think 
with organizations like you who are delivering brilliant services innovatively in an on-demand, easy-to-consume way, you've got to believe, haven't you, that clients, by and large, are going to want to maintain the convenience and the responsibility of taking services in that way, never excluding face-to-face, but you've got to believe it's going to remain in some way or another substantially, haven't you? I agree. I think the the, the, uh, challenge is how do you get the balance? Because one thing that I'm certain about is Zoom and networking, uh, sorry, Teams and networking don't work. You know, you can do education, you can do training, you can have meetings and conversations virtually, but that networking that takes place when a group of people get together and the creativity that comes out of that and the, you know, the bar chat that happens is not replicable using virtual techniques and we've got to work on how we make that work yeah it's the blend we are all looking forward to that and i'm looking forward to meeting you face to face we've been working together for a few months and i still haven't met you face to face so i'm very looking forward to that looking absolutely swag uh one last question for you um lots of people who listen to meet the ceo some are thinking about uh being ceos uh one day some are already ceos and and yet more you know just have to work with ceos from time to time let's think about somebody who's aspiring to be a CEO. If you had three bits of advice to give to an aspiring CEO, what would you, what would you say? Well, the first one's not going to surprise you. It's know your customers, make sure you understand what they need and how you're going to satisfy them. Number one, uh, uh, number one piece of advice. The second piece of advice is hire a team better than you. It's the best bit of advice I've received, and I was given that early in my career. And frankly, it's not been too difficult for me to do that. (laughs) If you hire hire people better than you, they they push you and they make you raise your game, and I think that's a really good thing to do. And finally, uh, listen to the people on the front line of your organisation. They often have the brilliant insight to help unlock or improve the business. And this is a form of Kaizen or continuous improvement. And we're actually doing that where we are and it's working well for us. There's quite a lot of things we have implemented in the last 18 months, which have been ideas from our frontline. Well, Swag, that is absolutely fantastic and great practical um, pieces of advice, you know, from goal congruence to real client focus all the way to uh, beginning of the day uh, meditation. That was a really fantastic discussion. Thank you ever so much for being a guest on Meet the CEO. Uh, We wish Centaur continued great success. If you've moved two years ahead, we hope you uh, continue to pull ahead of your own expectations and deliver great services. Thanks so much for being with us thank you very much matt and thanks for the opportunity another fascinating series of lessons there from swag not sure if you picked up on it but focusing on the customer is key for him but not just focusing on them but really talking to them and doing so regularly and ensuring that everyone sees that as a key responsibility even the cfos amongst you How often do we hear CEOs speaking about getting their head in the right place, especially in the morning? But Swag is the first person to share his meditation routine with us, even if it is just to wind down from his morning commute. 
goal congruence and recognizing each other's strengths. It sounds so obvious for an executive team and yet I've lost count of the number of times that this is insufficiently attended to. Great tip there. And then to cap it all, Swag reminds us all of that golden rule to recruit people who are better than we are. Thanks, Swag. And if you've enjoyed this episode but haven't subscribed yet, then you know what to do. If you are a subscriber, then a rating or a comment would be really appreciated by us. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to welcoming you to the next episode of Meet the CEO.